Welcome to the Old Soul, New Soul Astrology Podcast, Thomas Miller and Robert Glasscock. A few episodes ago, we talked about the axis of the third and ninth houses. If you missed that, you might want to go back and pick that up because it is a very interesting conversation of what the distinctions between those two are. Well, let's continue that around the astrological wheel. Thought we would take on a couple of angular houses this time. And what about start at the beginning, the first and, of course, the seventh? Robert? Wow, now we're getting into some real philosophical territory with astrology. The first and seventh axis, this comprises the ascendant, which is the part of the zodiac that was on the eastern horizon when you were born, and its opposite point, the descendant, or the seventh house cusp. And this gets into Martin Buber, the philosopher who coined the phrase, the I-thou, So this axis in astrology is really the existential axis for how we live and shape our entire lives. The sense of I, who I am, is located at the first house. So your rising sign tells you a great deal about why you were born and what you were born to do in this life. The opposite house is everything that is not you. So in a sense, it's not just your partner in life, your mate, your marriage partner in life, or your business partner. It is everybody outside of yourself, everybody, and it's life itself. So when you come into the world through your first house and whatever you have rising, your experience of the world out there throughout your entire life will be colored by the sign on the seventh cusp, and by the planet that rules that sign, and by the sign that that planet is in, and so on. So beginning to analyze this first and seventh axis is tremendously important. If you get into orary astrology, for example, and those of you who are taking the orary course that I have through through Thomas Miller, you'll know that the first house rules the question. The seventh house rules the immediate outcome of that question. So you may locate that the question in any different house, depending on what the question is that you bring to horary astrology. But it's all, horary is totally dependent, once again, on the first and seventh axis. So in life, you're born under your ascendant, the entire world and everything and everybody in it initially, is archetypally reflected in your seventh house. So you can think about the sign on that seventh cusp. For example, if you have, well, as as Thomas does, we recently looked at Ron Howard's horoscope. He has Aries, which is the natural first house sign in the natural wheel, Aries. The opposite house, the thou in the I-thou construct, in Ron Howard's chart is Libra, and which is ruled by Venus. So he, his nature, with Aries rising and Libra on the seventh, is to form partnerships, to collaborate with people. Now he has Ron Howard has Saturn in his seventh house. His experience of everybody out there in his life, starting with mommy and daddy, is Saturnian. And this has, it, it, it's called the, the, the great malefic, but it isn't. 
I call Saturn the get real planet. Saturn's the planet of maturity. It's also accidentally dignified in the seventh house. So in Ron Howard's chart, we see Saturn in the seventh. He takes life very seriously. He has to with Saturn in that seventh house. Even he's a Pisces, as you may recall, if you listen to that podcast, he is a Pisces and has a stelium in Pisces. It harmonizes all of Pisces' water planets, his sun and Mercury and so on in Pisces, harmonized with his Saturn in the seventh house of the thou, in the I-thou metaphor for living. So he's born to, to look for people who are mature, people who will be a professional asset to him, people from whom he can learn. With Saturn, he's looking for people who are wise or wiser even than he is, including, ultimately, a wife in the seventh house. And if you recall Ron Howard's chart, he has the moon, which rules women, in Capricorn. And we talked about, Thomas and I did when we were discussing Ron Howard's chart, about how strong and mature and supportive his wife was with the moon in Capricorn. Well, she's also shown in his birth chart by that Saturn in his seventh house. And it's in Scorpio, a wonderful, rich, emotional water sign, trining all of his Pisces planets in his 11th house of the, the future. So his relationship with his wife and indeed with his business partner, Brian Glazer as well, it comes under the seventh house as well. So the first seventh axis shows your immediate, most significant relationships, including your most significant friendships. People are trained astrologically to think of the 11th house as friends, and it is friends. But your closest friends, here's the concept to grasp. Your closest friends are ruled by your 7th house. Why? Because the 7th house rules anybody in your life who is of equal strength to you. So that house, the 7th house, also rules open enemies your strongest competitors, because they are equally strong. They may be competing with you. They may be antitheses of you, but they're not the same as the 11th house. The 11th house friendships are not nearly as directly powerful in your life as 7th house relationships. So bear that in mind, too. And Saturn in the seventh house will often show significant competitors or even open enemies in your life. If you have an afflicted Saturn in the seventh house, your own mate may be unconsciously in competition with you, which is not necessarily great for a marriage, for example. So it's this I-thou construct, so that it's construct so that the seventh house shows. Anybody in your life who is of equal importance to yourself. Something else to consider, Thomas, with the seventh house, for example, going back to horary astrology, the seventh house rules opportunity. So, for example, with horary astrology, somebody comes to you and says, you know, I just had a meeting yesterday with a potential employer. Boy, did that meeting go well. It seems, should I act as if I'm going to get this job? The answer in horary astrology is the, the rulers of the first and the seventh, the I, thou. Again, so the seventh house, in addition to ruling marriage and closest friendships it and also competitors and open enemies, it also rules opportunity. 
So depending again on the planets that you have in the seventh house or the planets that rule the sign on that cusp will give you some big clues as to how opportunities and what kinds of opportunities come into your life. With you and me, Thomas, with Saturn in the seventh house, we're pretty serious about opportunities and we tend to not resist, but let's say not place as much important on trivial opportunities that come our way, especially as we age out beyond 30. We're very aware of what seem to be open, trivial. Here's something that we could do that would be great. Well, we have a sense. Anybody with Saturn in the seventh has a sense of what is a trivial and less important, quote, opportunity than others. Occasionally, we get very serious sudden offers that are opportunities, and those we are primed with Saturn in the seventh to take seriously. With Jupiter in the seventh house, depending again on the sign that it's in, we tend to respond very well and often quickly to any opportunities that come our way, whether they are initially superficial or not. Somebody with, let's say, Jupiter in the seventh house in Gemini, they can make an opportunity out of something that somebody in a restaurant, we're sitting around a table with a bunch of friends, and somebody in that group comes up with some comment that triggers in us with Jupiter in the seventh in Gemini. Wow, what a great idea. And suddenly we can take that and run with it. So that Jupiter in Gemini, for example, has a completely different orientation toward life than someone with Saturn in the seventh house does. So you can begin by studying your first and seventh houses and the signs on the cusp and planets ruling and then those aspects and so on to get a grip on how you relate to life. Generally with, say, I keep coming back to Saturn because you have that. I have it. A lot of people do. Uh, Ron Howard has it. Uh, we have a pretty serious outlook on relationships of all kind, business and personal. And we depend, Ron's Saturn is in Scorpio, fixed sign, so that opportunities for people like Ron Howard, when those come along, they can become lifelong partnerships, whether it's marriage or business, just as in the case of Ron Howard's long marriage and his long relationship with his producing partner, Brian Glazer. So looking at those archetypes gives you a, a clue as to how you see life out there. Anybody with Saturn on the seventh in the seventh house is born in a situation where they are pretty much pressured or forced to take life very seriously. Somebody with Jupiter in the seventh house is born into a situation where they can take life much more as an adventure and a sense of optimism and expectancy. Saturn in the seventh is different. It's a little wary of other people, a little self-protective of other people, a little defensive. So it's not necessarily easy to get close to with Saturn in the seventh house as compared to, say, Jupiter there or Venus there. Venus in the seventh house, against the I-thou construct, if you're born with Venus in the seventh house, the thou, namely everybody you meet, will tend to be attractive to you. You may fall in love very easily or be drawn to opportunities very easily. They may not last, 
But the initial contact is the expectancy of Venus in the seventh house. I'm going to enjoy this person. I'm going to enjoy this situation. Saturn in the seventh is completely different. Is this situation good for me? Is this person good for me? If, are they bad for me? Can I use this person? I don't mean in a, a negative way, but can I incorporate this person into my life in some serious way or not? So it's a different approach to life. Jupiter, the same thing, completely different. So what kind of an adventure could this person bring to me? What could I bring to them in the sense of adventure? And so on. With Uranus in the seventh house, again, the outlook on like is, life is completely different from all of those. Excuse me, Uranus tends to have very instantaneous gut level attractions or repulsions to people in life. So they can meet somebody who is incredibly magnetic and often sexually magnetic or creatively magnetic. And really, it's a standout meeting in the life. I've never known anybody like this person, and indeed you haven't. Uh, but also with Uranus in the seventh house, relationships can abruptly end just as they abruptly began. So it's not necessarily an aspect for stability in relationships, but boy, can it be creative. It can be even genius-type creativity. So again, studying that I-thou construct between the rising sign, the sign on the seventh house, the planets involved, and especially the planet that rules the ascendant, and the planet that rules the seventh house, look to see what aspect those two planets make. Is it harmonious or is it a stress aspect? So you can have, let's say, Aries rising, you have Mars ruling it. You have Libra on the seventh cusp, the thou. Look to see Venus. And if Venus and Mars are in a harmonious aspect at birth, then your approach to life and everybody in it that you meet will tend to be positive. If, on the other hand, the planet that rules your ascendant and the planet that rules your seventh house are in a stress aspect, a square or an opposition, you will start from a family conditioning that goes right on through your life of conflict. And you and Saturn in the seventh, if it's in conflict with the ruler of the planet that rules your ascendant, uh, you will have conflicted relationships. That doesn't mean they're necessarily bad at all. They can be very developmental, but they certainly are not as smooth or harmonious as when the rulers of the first and the seventh are in a harmonious aspect at birth. And then by studying the signs that are involved, you get an idea of where does the conflict come if it's water signs? It's on an emotional level. If it's air signs, it can be on an intellectual level so that there may be either conflicting or harmonious intellectual interest and communication styles and so on. Do you see what I mean? So you're looking at these, these two rulers of the ascendant and the descendant, the I and the thou, to see how those planets relate to each other at birth and also what houses those planets are in can also give you clues as to how relationships will be harmonious or disharmonious. Gives you a lot of information about yourself and about how you live and how you think about other people and about life itself. What about the nodes of the moon in the first or the seventh? I always think of the nodes of the moon as being karmic. Uh, so to me, they represent 
past traits that we have either developed well in the past, those are the North Node traits, or traits in the South Node that we have failed to develop in the past and therefore we need to develop in this life. The South Node, and this conflicts with some books, I know this, but the South Node tends to indicate traits that we need that are weak in this life and that we need to develop. And the South and North Nodes are always opposite each other. So you can have, for example, the South Node rising. Let's say the South Node is in the same sign as your rising sign. Well, that means that in this life, the traits of that sign were not developed in the past life, or they were abused in the past life. And so you carry forward this south node sense of weakness in those areas, and you may compensate for that, and you should. You should be conscious of them. This is conscious living through astrology. Conscious of your south node characteristics. Let's say it's Aries. So in a past life, you have in some way, failed to exercise your own initiative. You've failed to stand up for yourself. You've failed to be yourself. You may have sacrificed yourself to your family's expectations in the past or something, or to society's expectations. So in this life, you are meant to, and you will have a weak sense of initiative. You will be born with the South Node in Aries with a sense that I can't get what I want. And this will be unconscious. So you're born with an expectation of not succeeding at what you want. And it's unconscious. So once you know that from your horoscope, you can say, well, what are, what, what are the aspects to this node? Where is my Mars? My South Node is in Aries. Where is my Mars? And you begin to study your Mars by sign and house and aspect, and you can begin to consciously develop the Mars qualities in this life and overcome the karmic lack of those qualities. The same is true with the North Node. If you have the South Node in Aries, you have the North Node in Libra. And that suggests that in past lives, you have done well in collaborations and marriage and partnerships. And a second thing that I have found if you meet people who are born with their sons within three degrees of the North or South node, they will play a very prominent role in your life, depending on whether it's the North node, in which case they're advantageous for you or the South node. So you look to see you have a planet at uh, three degrees, uh, south node at three degrees Aries, let's say. Anybody born with their sun within three degrees of three degrees Aries will tend to activate this karmic need in you to develop those south node qualities. And they will tend to, oftentimes they will seem to be initially, especially disadvantageous or competitive with you or troublesome for you. Conversely, with somebody born within three degrees of your north node will tend to bring advantages into your life some way. Uh, that's another excellent tour. And, you know, we'll keep this going because, I mean, why not? We've got a good little series going on here. And thank you guys so much for all of your support of our podcasts and everything that we're doing here. We've got the show notes kind of covers everything that's going on around here, including the link to Robert's email where you can contact him directly if you'd like to sit down with your own chart together. 
Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time on the Old Soul, New Soul Astrology Podcast with Robert Glasscock.